Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1995 film Showgirls. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Good evening. Welcome to Vegas, baby. <laughs> That's where we are. <laughs> Bright light city, gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. It's not my best Elvis, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. Have you yeah. ever been to Las Vegas? No, I've never been to Vegas. I have been to Las Vegas. Did you enjoy your time in Las Vegas? No, I did not. I. <laughs> I um I went there trying to make it big, you know, as a showgirl, and then look what happened. No, um, <laughs> on our way back from our honeymoon in Hawaii, we were supposed to go to LAX and change LAX and then fly home, and our flight got mm. cancelled. So they di- they rerouted us to Vegas, and it was a weird one because we we flew overnight from Maui into Vegas and got there at like six a.m. And then our flight out back home to London was at like 10 p.m. So we had just like a random day in Vegas where you'd, you'd arrive sweaty on a plane and then you've got to go walk around a desert for a day. And at that point, we would run, we'd run out of money. So we were just like <laughs> walking around Vegas trying to make sense of it. Really, really knackered. Um, and yeah, eventually we found our way into the, the casino netherworld where, you know, they're like kind of all linked together. So you can just kind of walk through one casino to the next one and the next one and the next one. And you never have to go outside in the desert heat. Mm. But what no one tells you is that you can smoke in the casinos. So the whole place oh, smells no. absolutely foul. <laughs> you know, like, um, well, like, like how pubs were before the smoking ban. How everywhere used to be before the smoking ban, right? When we were children. Yeah, yeah. How everywhere just smelt disgusting. It, Vegas smells like that. It's really nasty. Oh, that's horrendous. I yeah, because I remember we had was it one year or two years when we were like going to clubs over the age of eighteen. Well, we had one term, if you remember. So the smoking ban came in at the end of two thousand and six. We started university in two thousand and six, so we had one term of it, and then the ban came in, and then everyone was like, "Oh, it smells worse now because everywhere you smell farts and the bo," which was a fair point, but it made public venues clean up their act, didn't it? I I wouldn't necessarily say that it smelt worse and coming out of clubs and then being able to breathe was nice. Yeah. Um it was it's made yeah any of you youngsters who are listening who never went clubbing before the or or went to gigs before the the smoking ban was in place. Yeah, um, showing our age here. We? <laughs> back in my back day, in my you day. Could smoke a cigar whilst at a club and enjoy a glass of scotch listening to the music of underworld and the prodigy (laughs) (laughs) these days they've just got i don't know these days they're all Um, vaping isn't it apparently vaping is very very considered very very cool among teenagers it's stupid though very bad i mean the, the the big problem with the big problem with vaping is the um 
one-time use disposable vapes. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to vape, get one of the ones where you can put a little cartridge in it and pretend it's a gun. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah just go around going, hi, look at my little laser gun. Beep, beep. <laughs> exactly. If, you, if you're going to do it, get a, get, a, get a permanent one and then just get the, get the little tabs to put in it. Um, yeah, because those disposable ones are horrendous for the environment. Or just don't so vape. Bad for the Vaping is stupid. <laughs> As is yeah, smoking. you should you should have an uh, uh, an alcohol problem like our generation. Yeah, come on, <laughs> that's guys. the only thing that's allowed in in Britain. Just don't do anything else. You're just expected to be an alcoholic. That's all you're allowed to do in Britain. The only thing. If you're not, then it's frowned upon. They're going to ban ban laughing gas now, which is bad news for bakers because that's what they use to make whipped cream. <laughs> it's definitely going to work really, really well, and it's going to be totally fine. And they've definitely thought it through. Literally, just to get high on laughing gas. It was. I don't understand. Is is laughing gas causing antisocial behaviour? No, it's. I'm not. not. I'm not attached enough to the youngsters to know for sure, but. My experiences of laughing gas is that you did it and then you felt giddy for like a minute and then it was over and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That, is that genuinely where you want to put your focus in terms of antisocial behaviour? Exactly. It's, it's a distraction, isn't it? It's because the, people leave those canisters around. But then there's much more rubbish from like from booze, isn't there? Cans of rest, cigarette butts, you know, and, and as you say, those disposable vapes. So those are a much bigger problem than the odd little bit of whipped cream. My favourite thing has been people across the political spectrum saying, oh, we don't want young people loitering in parks. It's like, well, what are you meant to do in a park? (laughs) Parks are meant to chill out in and loiter in. What what do you want them to be doing in the park? You can only be in the park if you're running around in a circle, like in a sort of Benny Hill way, you know, with that Benny Hill music playing. (laughs) What they mean is... If you stop moving, you go to jail. What they mean is you're only allowed in nature... If you look like Hugh Fernley Whittingstall or a young version of Hugh Fernley yeah. Whittingstall. If you don't match either of those criteria, then you're a problem and you're antisocial. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's what they mean. That's what they mean when they say that. Yeah, um, of course. So, yeah, no, screw you. Go and hang out. Go loiter in parks, young people. Enjoy nature. Go and go and have a little sit down and enjoy nature with your hoodies on. You have our blessing to loiter. Yeah, go loiter. Loitering's good. Loitering yeah. is one of the, the joys of life, is to just pad about doing nothing. Which I think is not encouraged in Las Vegas either. I think if you if you stand there on the street, they move you on. They're, they're, they're just livid that you're like, what are you doing just waiting here? You should be going and getting a gambling addiction in one of our Unless, you, yeah. Unless you're standing at a slot machine. So That's no, the we only did not time gamble. loitering is acceptable. <laughs> if it costs we went you money. To, um, we went to In-N-Out Burger, and then I've got a photo somewhere of me standing next to like a big advert for for a Guy Fieri burger joint that we couldn't find. With I was going to say, aren't there it? all of those freaky burger places? Yeah, to get, but we but couldn't you, find any You of went them. to an In-N-Out Burger instead. Yeah, and the bottom of my bun was burnt. So everyone was going on about how good this good In-N-Out Burger was. I had a bad experience. But, you know, um, I'm not going to... I would try it again, but... Yeah, I've heard good things about In-N-Out. Have they, have they opened any in other places apart from like the southwest of america i don't think so no didn't they do a pop-up in london once oh maybe a few years ago Uh, queues out the door i'm having a i'm having a look at a map now apparently there's some in texas as well okay i mean their burgers look fine they look like a burger it was a burger yeah Yeah, much in the way that showgirls is a film (laughs) 
thank you, you for go. thank you for bringing us back around to this week's movie which there's is... my segue after um you know well there's some vegas chat that, yeah, that, vegas i think does chat. does set the scene but yes my impression <laughs> of vegas is that it stinks of smoke <laughs> and, and, and desert heat is very bad and speaking of things that stink and are very bad <laughs> we've got the movie showgirls which you'd never seen before I had never seen before, and I realised that I'd mixed it up in my head with the film Dream Girls, which is a 2006 musical about Motown, which I've not seen either, <laughs> but that one very, I have seen half of on television. Which is very, very different. I think you might have been in for a bit of a shock if you were expecting Dream Girls with Jamie Foxx and Beyonce. And Eddie Murphy. And Eddie I, Murphy. I someone thought that Eddie Murphy was in this, and I kept expecting Eddie Murphy to turn up <laughs> and like punch someone or be a misogynist or something. <laughs> And he didn't. He did not. No. He saved that for um for his own films, of course. So, so what did <laughs> saved you th- that for the nutty professor? What did you think of Showgirls then on your first well, watch? It's a it's a strange film, isn't it? It's it it's, really is. <laughs> it it's a strange and very interesting film, and it's you know it it's two hours long, and it's it's a notorious bomb, but also a film that has achieved cult status and that people are constantly reevaluating and people are still talking about, aren't they? Mm, Which is quite interesting. So I I, I did a bit of reading before and I kind of had a bit of that context once I'd realized it wasn't dream girls. And I went, okay, it's, it's, um, it's Paul Verhoeven, right? We know him from RoboCop. You know, I think you've seen more of his work than I have. So, um, yeah, you probably had a better perspective than than me on that, but I think I I had some vague idea of who he is and what his work is about, and generally kind of tonally how it works. So I wasn't totally shocked by it, but at times it's a it's very very odd. It's and it's so many people have so many different interpretations of it. I've now realised from having a lot a lot of different reading and I readings of it, and I completely understand that because there's so much there's a lot going on and there's a lot to unpack. Um, and you can read it so many different ways. And I think that is actually a good thing. But overall, I still don't think it's a good film, if that makes <laughs> no, sense. No, I completely agree. It's a, it's an interesting movie. And I think I think almost the history of its evaluation and the history of its cult following is maybe more interesting than it is as a film. Um, but that you're right. There's something really fascinating about it that... I can imagine people who didn't know how mean and under the skin Paul Verhoeven gets in his movies going along to watch a movie like this and then being shocked at how mean it is as a film because it's essentially a complete inversion of the American dream, isn't it? And that's kind of what he was going for when he talks about it is being this this it, almost the the anti la la land i suppose yeah. is what um <laughs> what showgirls is and that's the kind of thing he was going for but i think i don't think a lot of that got through to people at the time and instead the controversy around its content and the incredibly unsuccessful elements of it which there are many yeah <laughs> many unsuccessful elements of it kind of overshadowed the purpose but like you said over time it's had this reevaluation where it's become a, a a camp classic so much so that it's had a musical adaptation um yeah and um particularly um women becoming big fans of showgirls and its camp qualities and again having that re-evaluation of people years on who are actually then looking into thematic elements of it but i think some of that is with with um 
with shit tinted glasses almost because it is it is still bad is it i can understand people enjoying it as a guilty pleasure and the can be qualities of it do make it an entertaining film to watch absolutely but i think maybe there's some people that are being a bit contrarian when they say that it's uh an uh an uncut gem yeah, there's definitely an element of that. I mean, the the people who give it the highest praise and among film critics and like to say that, as you say, it's that kind, of, it's this kind of grand commentary on the American dream, or it's some kind of massive satire on Hollywood, which I don't think that it is. But I can understand how how you could think that, and that there's definitely an element of that in the film, and I think that is what Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaus were trying to achieve. Um, but they they didn't really get there because it's too bogged down in just sort of a lot of ugliness and nastiness, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and I think it's one of those things where you can you can very much see what the point is, um, which is that it is that inversion, it is that satire. What you can then um, what you can then do is look at it as um whether that was successful or not um rather than what the intent was and i'd say of that course. maybe it's not as successful as some of the critics who like it have pointed out no not at all i think the meanness is absolutely fine i don't mind how mean and horrible this movie is and i think it needed to be that mean to be successful but actually where it fails is in the implementation <laughs> of that meanness. But equally, that implementation, weirdly enough, is what makes this movie fun to watch, which is the terrible script, the awful performances, the weird tonal shifts constantly, um, the the constant exploitation elements. The like really, really over-the-top, lavish musical numbers and really good, yeah. like well-choreographed dance scenes. And then the next scene, it's someone... Say, saying that someone looks as good as a 10-inch dick. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> you know, the, you know the, the people say America is a land of contrasts and Showgirls is a movie that is America. <laughs> you yeah. can say that. Showgirls <laughs> is a movie of contrast. There's, there, there, there's this, you know, it, it wasn't the most expensive movie, but it had a decent budget behind it. It was about $45 million. Um, and off the back of that, Although people say that it was a financial flop, it didn't do too badly. In the box office, it lost about $8 million. Didn't do as well initially in terms of like video sales. But over time, it's actually one of MGM's most financially successful movies. Yes, I read that. Yeah, that is, it was really, really successful on home media. Yeah, yeah. So over time, so even though initially it didn't have that success, because it's gained this cult following and this cult success, it's actually developed this 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 following that's continued with it. Almost, you know, you can see it as kind of a a, a contemporary to things like Rocky Horror, which had a similar thing going on. Mm, yeah, um, it's kind of got a similar parallel there. Although, of course, Rocky Horror is um, a far more nice movie than this. <laughs> Tim Curry's finest hour. Um, no, Tim Curry's finest hour is um, going the cat to King space. In um, the Cat Returns, <laughs> is 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 going going to space in the Command and Conquer game where he goes <laughs> going to the one place that capitalism <laughs> can't find me, space. 
I love that so incredible. much. Tim Curry is an all-time great. Tim Curry should have been in this movie somewhere. Oh my god! He Imagine would have, he would have actually been a really good as one of these pimp guys. He would have been. He would have been fantastic. So, so all these pimp guys walking around, <laughs> and as the, as the guy said, the only person that I was just going to bring up my best line in the film, which the guy James says. Um, he says the only people I know who got pimp cars are pimps. He's a pimp. She's <laughs> brilliant. Um, yeah, I, there there are some genuinely astonishing lines of dialogue in this movie. Um, there's she looks better than a ten inch dick. Truly astonishing line of dialogue, like you mentioned. <laughs> And not long before that, someone says, "If you jump to conclusions, you're going to jump to your conclusion without your golden parachute." That's like a Tommy Wiseau line, isn't it? it? Really That's like is. keep your stupid comments in your pocket level um, of dialogue. I'm erect. Why aren't you erect? Please do not sample that and use it outside of context of this conversation, <laughs> people. Um. Well, I already said better than a ten-inch dick, so someone's probably going to set that to like um, a sick trap beat or whatever. <laughs> You need to do it. You need to do a lo-fi remix of this entire episode. Yeah. Take one of the happen. bits of music from Showgirls and make a lo-fi remix and then put in our... our sure. Um... I'll take the one from the dance sequence about two-thirds of the way through where it was like a Rammstein video. Do you know the one I mean? <laughs> yes, I know the one where you they mean. were all wearing like leather and girdles yeah. and it was sort of quite hard rock. And there was like flames coming up and stuff like that. And yeah. there was a motorbike driving around. <laughs> Yeah, it's like this, this is a incredible. Rammstein video. Um, yeah, it's... and a lot of the music, oddly, was sort of um, quite sort of sleazy nineties, and mm. I imagine that you enjoyed that. Oh yeah, no, the soundtrack. I noticed there was a remix of a nineties David Bowie song in, yeah. in here. Um, and yeah, it's 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 cool. The soundtrack is is the soundtrack tonally fits for what they're going for, which is this mixture of weird sleazy electronica and rock, and then these bombastic musical numbers. Um, and it just it does fit really really well. You you can't say much that's great about Showgirls, but I think musically, soundtrack wise, it did a very good job. And I actually think the dance scenes. I mean, I'm yeah. not an expert in dance. Yeah. I I have, wouldn't say I've watched loads of dance or seen loads of dance films. But the, from the little sort of knowledge that I have from having seen other films that include it as a as a thing, um, ignoring Black Swan, of course. Maximum <laughs> disrespect to Darren Aronofsky <laughs> for that film, which we've talked about before. Um, but I, I thought the dance scenes were actually really effective and really, really good and well put together. They just, uh, as soon as it was over, it was onto some very bad dialogue or something else. <laughs> but yeah, and I think I think there's that um, there's that discrepancy, isn't there, between the dance numbers that are really, really good, but then the dancing outside of those dance numbers is extremely bad. <laughs> and yeah. so when you're seeing people dancing in clubs, for instance, and it's just this incredibly aggressive dancing, almost like Mac in It's Always Sunny dancing, doing Kung Fu. It's got a similar kind of vibe. Um, it's, <laughs> it's really quite something. And it, it does there's no movie quite like showgirls it does have this really unique shit piece element to it that no i've never seen anything like this no no and you know we're nearly 300 episodes in we've not seen anything that's like this it's really unique even in comparison to other 
sleazy movies that Verhoeven made, like Basic Instinct, which is a horrendously sleazy film. I don't know if you've ever watched it. I've never seen Basic Instinct, but it was the subject of a routine that uh, by Bill Hicks. So I've, I used to oh, listen to Bill Hicks's CDs. He used to talk about how what a terrible film it was, and how everyone was talking about how you could see Sharon Stone in the nude and stuff, and about how stupid that was. I think he had his finger on the pulse at the time. Because <laughs> that's where. Um... That, that's where this kind of movie comes from, is there was this run of really sleazy um, re- really sleazy thrillers in the early 90s, and Basic Instinct was one of them, which um, Joe Esterhaus and um, Paul Verhoeven both did. Um, it is yep. a bad movie. It is not very good. Um, but Joe Esterhaus also did um, Sliver, which is another weird erotic thriller. Um, and there was a few of them at the time. And this kind of... Showgirls kind of came off the back of them, where actually that titillation with tit in capitals was a big element of early 90s cinema. There was this appetite for it, but Showgirls is very, very bombastic, whereas a lot of those other movies are slightly more under-the-surface rot of sleaze, whereas Showgirls is just, here's the sleaze enjoy it yeah, I, I would not say that this film leaves anything to the imagination literally nothing to the imagination it is incredibly explicit um it is yeah do not what like i said to you do not watch this in public or around family members yeah um, i did not it is it is a I very explicit not. film <laughs> Um, people are naked constantly. The one thing that's disappointing is there's a lot of a lot of boob and a lot of butt. Carl McLaughlin, you think you see some Carl McLaughlin butt, but apparently he used a body double in this movie. Of course he did. I was about to say you get to see Carl McLaughlin's butt. Of course it's not him. Which is very disappointing because actually that would be an amazing butt to see in this film. But As if he hadn't movie. already shown us his ass by starring in Dune. <laughs> How very dare you? <laughs> no, no but, disrespect but th- to Dune. This kind of has a similar sort of weird otherworldliness to Dune in a way, doesn't it? Mm, Alejandro Hodorowski's Showgirls. I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch David Lynch's Showgirls. Um, I would, but actually. It, yeah. it, but, but, but do you see what I mean? There's this kind of weird otherworldliness to them where they don't quite feel real, almost like you're walking through a dream. And there, it's a, it's, it's, it's like walking through a dream in very different ways. But nobody seems human in either of these films. No, nobody does anything that feels like anything a reasonable human being would do. But I guess they're all supposed to be unreasonable human beings, aren't they? So in, in, in a way, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think that comes back to the, the clash between viewers and intent in Showgirls was people thinking well everyone's incredibly dislikable and no one's doing anything that normal human beings would do but of course that's actually the point because there is this satirical nastiness to this film which is trying to undermine the idea of hollywood and undermine the idea of the american dream and 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 undermine the idea of las vegas as this glamorous place to be as well yeah it's a shame that it didn't really do any of that until sort of the last 15 20 minutes when suddenly all of the plot happens yeah <laughs> it's like it's... There's, a, there's this horrible horrible tonal shift with a very nasty scene whereas up until that point there'd been nasty scenes but because of the campy element you're kind of rolling along with it and like okay yeah this is a this is an exploitative scene but at the same time this sex scene she's like vibrating like she's yeah. a broken robot 
<laughs> that kind of thing. There were um, multiple sex scenes in which that happened, and it was really weird. <laughs> yeah, whereas all of a sudden, you're in this incredibly horrible scene, um, and it just feels very out of place and very clashing with the atmosphere and tone of what's come before it, which, again, is a failure of the movie itself that it doesn't properly engage in that and so it actually feels quite exploitative and out of nowhere whereas actually if the movie did have anything good about it it would it would actually feel impactful i guess yeah of course because it's part of the characterization of the main character actually and it's then it provides the spark for her to go and beat a guy up and then sort of take her agency back from all of these men who've controlled her for the entire film um, which is a good thing. It's just that that's all, like, it's really badly paced. And you could sort of sew elements of that throughout the film. It's like suddenly Kyle MacLachlan, like, knows about her dark past, which nobody knew about and or cared about until now. It's like you could have peppered that throughout the film, perhaps, you know, or shown her struggling for her agency more, where in a lot of the time she seems quite passive. Yeah, yeah. and And it's worth noting that using sexual assault as... A, as something to attach to another character's agency is never a good thing to do. It, no, that's abhorrent. It's a, it's a I, I, I hated that. Yeah, it's it's shit, and it feels out of nowhere, and it's using someone else's trauma to galvanize another character, which is never, never a good thing. You could probably just watch the first hour if you're curious. If you haven't seen it and you're curious, you could probably watch like the first hour and see some of the bombastic dance scenes and the dick jokes, and then you're like, "Well, that's enough. I can go and do something else now." Yeah, I, I think I think if you watch it up until she becomes the lead, and in fact that could have been a really mm. good turning off point, is actually that she's come she's come to um, Las Vegas with all of this ambition to be the best, and then only gets there by being evil. Yeah, the and turn it's... when she pushes basically, she's come to to Las Vegas to be a showgirl. She's doing all of these different jobs, doing lots of sexy dancing and stuff, and then she. She's she slept with Carl McLaughlin because he's going to make her the understudy to the big star, um, and then he reneges on it because the big star says no, and then she is just part of the chorus, and then she pushes the big star down the stairs so that she'll get the part. And when she actually does that, I think the way that that was handled was really, really good, and she sort of followed her backstage as they were coming off and made it look like an accident. Um, but then, so the next scene, she's immediately the star, and it's it's like that it kind of then decides to jump into plot and characterization. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think what they could have done is instead build it up to that being the scene, and it could have been the way that this person's mind has been warped by um, by the horrors of Las Vegas and all of these horrible human beings there, and particularly all of these horrible men. This is a movie about misogyny. It also just so happens to thrive in misogyny. Yeah. Um, which is, again, a really big clash. Almost like... Um, Sucker Punch, the I've never Zack seen Snyder it. movie, um, which is... And again, actually, there are multiple parallels between the two, which I can touch on. So Zack Snyder um, made the movie Sucker Punch, which was meant to be a critique of um, of sort of misogynistic voyeurism in a way, but it also completely undermined its own message by using it constantly in a way that nobody actually got that that's what it was doing. So it was a complete thematic failure. Yeah. Um, It's sort of an interesting movie. It's worth watching at some point because it does have an interesting concept to go through. Um, But the other thing that's a parallel 
is the way that the main female leads of these movies got absolutely fucked over by the film's failures in a way that none of the men involved in the movie were. So Sucker Punch, Zack Snyder went on from Sucker Punch to be a huge, uh, a huge director of various other um, movies, most famously, of course, Man of Steel. Big and name director other. of DC shit pieces. Yeah, big name director of incredibly boring DC uh, superhero movies. Come at me, um, Snyderverse yeah, people. Not even shit pieces, his, just boring. His, yeah. his movies are... Man of Steel, half of Man of Steel is good, and then the other half is bad. Um, his adaptation of Watchmen, I've sort of got time for. It sort of shits the bed. It's all right. Some of it, some of it, it gets right. Given, given how difficult it is to actually make Watchmen into something watchable as a movie... It did okay. It's a passable attempt. I want Paul Verhoeven's yeah. Watchmen next, obviously. I, I would watch Paul Verhoeven's Watchmen. I think I think the problem with Zack Snyder is that he doesn't get the political complexities of the works that he's working on, I think, a lot of the time, and that's a big challenge. And Watchmen is a very politically complex work. Yeah. Um, he did a remake of Dawn of the Dead, which equally didn't get the political complexities of of the original movie um i'm intrigued to see the movie that he's got coming out this year which is like a star wars type movie called rebel moon which oh quite fun i've not heard of that um yeah it looks pretty good the, the trailer's come out it looks looks decent i will watch it it'll probably be a be a good enjoyable sci-fi action movie i hope it's bad and then um, i can say that's no moon <laughs> <laughs> it's coming to Netflix. It's a Netflix exclusive, so you won't have to to, oh, to cool. go anywhere else. Um, but but Sucker Punch, Zack Snyder went on to make Man of Steel off the back of it. Um, it also starred Oscar Isaac, who of course went on to become a huge star. The main female lead, Emily Browning, had great difficulties with her career after Sucker Punch. Ouch. Um, which is a real shame. We've seen her in Pompeii. Yes. You'll recognise her from Pompeii. <laughs> which was terrible. Um, but I thought <laughs> she, was, terrible. she was good. Yeah, and, and she's really good. She was in um, the Lemony Snicket movie with Jim Carrey. She was the the, the, oh, yeah. the, the daughter in that. I she's have been, seen that. She's very, very talented, very, very charismatic, and actually puts in a really good performance in Sucker Punch, but it, it did stall her career. Um and actually, one thing that's worth pointing out is that she is in a great TV series at the moment called Class of 07. Oh, yeah. Um, which is an Australian post-apocalyptic, like, girl comedy. Okay. I'm so listening. it's a 10-year reunion at an all-girls school. And a, a tidal wave hits. The, uh, an apocalyptic tidal wave hits and all that they've got is they're, they're stuck on this island peak where their high school was and they've got to try and survive it's a really funny really Sounds heartfelt cool. film uh series it's well worth watching i think it's on amazon prime so it's worth worth going and watching i think you get a lot out of it um and she she's the lead in that and it's very very funny and very very good performance and and yeah it's just like why was she hit heavier by sucker punch than other people and you can go back to um, Showgirls and see a similar parallel here, mm. where the person who was most badly hit by Showgirls was Elizabeth Berkeley, who yeah. was fired by her agent, and then other agents refused to pick up her telephone calls and really stalled her career off the back of this. And you think, surely the agent was the one that got her the gig. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Um, whereas, like, yeah, she, she, she is bad in this film, 
I think that's fair to say that she's bad. But all of the performances are bad in this movie. I don't think she's totally terrible. I, I think she's giving it her all. Um, in in the same way as you know, other films that we've talked about recently, where the film has been terrible, but the person doing the main thing has actually committed to it and that that has shone through, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think... I mean, I don't think her performance is good, but you can see the energy being put into it and things like the dancing scenes, like the choreographed dancing are really, really impressive. Um, and But she was the one whose career was, was, was really stalled by this. She was only paid 100 grand to do it. And Cutthroat um, Island, which I was is, thinking of. I couldn't even remember so, so long ago. But Jean Davis <laughs> was giving her all in that against yeah, the backdrop yeah. of just insane rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say that Gina Davis is probably better, but equally Gina Davis at that point was already a very established actor who know, knew her way around, whereas with Elizabeth Berkeley, um Every, Come on, everyone watched so. Saved by the Bell. <laughs> yeah, but going from Saved by the Bell... There was nothing to, else on after when you got home from school. <laughs> going, going from Saved by the Bell to this is quite a big jump. Um, and she's the one who got chewed up by the the industry um off the back of this and didn't have the career that maybe she deserved off the back of this film about being chewed up by the industry exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and 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 again that's kind of the point of sucker punch to again make those parallels is that is about misogyny about exploitation of women and things like that and again who lost out heaviest out of that well it was the, the female lead um so yeah there's parallels between them um but it but it is it is a real it's bitterly disappointing, you know, paid not very much to make this film, putting in huge amounts of work to do it. And then at the end of the day, like Carl McLaughlin's career didn't didn't struggle. Paul Verhoeven's career took a bit of a dip. He found it harder to make work, but he still managed to make movies after this. You know, he still did Starship Troopers, still did Hollow Man. Um, Starship Troopers was a big success, wasn't it? I think it did okay. I think the budget of Starship Troopers wasn't as big as people people think it was um vanessa hudgens is in sucker punch you should we should watch this yeah we should we should watch we should watch sucker punch at some point it's it's an interesting movie to talk about it's 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 snyder's most interesting film right which maybe isn't which is not (laughs) damning with faint praise (laughs) um maybe isn't saying much but is 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 it is his most interesting movie um but but yeah it's 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 a horrible parallel to real life that this movie about uh, a woman being exploited by an industry and getting chewed up by it is basically what happened in real life as well. Yeah. One thing I would like to say is Gina Gershon as the sort of villain in this movie is great. Um, Sort of villain, sort of love interest there's this constant sexual tension between yeah and then they have a little kiss at the end in the hospital yeah. don't they yeah it's it's really it's a, it's such an interesting dynamic between the two characters and it's like i'd quite like that dynamic to be in a different film actually mm. that's actually good she's very good yeah her performance yeah. is probably the best one in the film i'd say yeah i'd i'd, I'd completely agree there's this kind of constant 
underlying malevolence to <laughs> to her character which really comes off well and she's been in some really great stuff over the years as well um is in face off oh, yes. a great movie about people's faces being taken off and being put on another person's face the great movie about um, nicholas cage and his face <laughs> nicholas about nicholas cage's face and john travolta john travolta's face which are two brilliant faces to be faced off against one another yeah um, so yeah, she, she's she's had an interesting career over the years, um, and um, yeah, I think actually this is a a really she's she's probably the only performance that I'd say, yeah, that's a good performance that really matches the movie. Yeah, and you believe the scene at the end where they she goes to her and apologizes, and she says, "Well, how, how do you think I made it to the top? Aha, uh-huh, we're all just bad." But I actually yes, kind of liked that yeah. scene, and I thought they had chemistry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and yeah, I think she got the assignment better than anybody else in terms of what the tone needed to be. Whereas you see that from other people, and maybe actually no, I'm going to say one other person got the assignment, which is the guy that gives Nomi a lift to Las Vegas yeah. in the first place, who appears at the beginning and the end of the yeah. movie. That guy, he got what this movie was about as well. The bookend guy who looks like some guy they just found in a bar. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, who has appeared in, not very much over the years, but he did appear in Showgirls 2. Did you know they made a Showgirls 2? I did not. Were any of the original people attached to it? So this fella was in it. Um, and um, also, well, it was written by, directed by, and starring Rena Riffle, who played Penny in showgirls who is the other the the new blonde person who joins that first club all right yeah who then gets pregnant so she did the entirety of showgirls too which makes me think this may well be a room situation here yeah for sure so i'm i might track down showgirls too at some point and (laughs) don't threaten me with a good time (laughs) and suss out whether it's something that we might want to watch at some point (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, am I'm, I'm always amazed when these weird sequels get made years later, like Donnie Darko got a sequel and Mean Girls oh, yeah. got a sequel as well, didn't it? Yeah. It's just like, who, who asked for that? It makes you realize how much of this stuff is kind of kicking around on, across the desks of Hollywood people. And someone just one day goes, oh yeah, I'd, I'd like to take a chance on Cutthroat Island 2 or whatever, you know, it's like, <laughs> give us Cutthroat Island 2, you hogs. Yeah. That's what that's what the um, people want. But what what I think about Showgirls too is that maybe this was a real passion project of her because she did everything for it. Right. Showgirls Two Pennies from Heaven, it's called. Good name. Pr- written, produced, edited, and directed by Rena Riffle. You know what? Maybe it's maybe it's like a Prince film. I thought this had a kind of a bit of a purple rain vibe. And maybe it's a bit like that. Mm, that's true, yeah, it may well do. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we need to give it a go. There is a bit mm. where they're dancing to Prince at one point, isn't there? There is, yeah. I was wondering if you'd pick that up. Of course. Yeah, is. the soundtrack of this movie was really, really good. Truly incredible. Yeah, and again, it perfectly encapsulates the time, I think. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, worth noting that this got the record for the number of Razzie nominations. We know that we hate the Razzies here. Yeah. But 
it's worth pointing that out and actually Paul Verhoeven turned up in person to accept worst director and worst picture and he was the first director to ever come and collect the award in person well that's good and I, I think he, he he's someone who can laugh at himself right and I think that's a very good quality in a director and I think that is apparent in his work yeah I, I think one of the most interesting examples of that is Starship Troopers where he basically read this sci-fi book which is very very fascist like openly yeah. fascist in its ideology and he said i'm gonna make this into an anti-fascist satire which is why fans of the book starship troopers really hate the movie starship troopers yeah um where well, you like people... that brother a heinlein you're dead <laughs> you're anyway loser. so you can't you're say anything anyway. you can't complain <laughs> um whereas those of us who enjoy the movie starship troopers are far cooler because as we know books are for nerds yeah, I've not read any of Heinlein's books. Um, I think I have. I can't remember which ones. I think maybe Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh yeah, um, which is about the the guy on Mars. Um, Was he a fascist on Mars? <laughs> I don't remember him being a fascist on Mars, but. Um, but yeah, maybe he was. Maybe he was. Um, but yeah, Starship Troopers is a perfect example of that, of him not... I mean, he's never been someone that's been afraid to take risks, Paul Verhoeven. Um, and this might have been a risk too far, Showgirls. Yes, but I'm, I'm glad that it exists. And I think it's it's a good exercise in in the, in filmmaking risk, I suppose. Yeah, if there's one way to evaluate it, it's good to look at that and see all the risks that, that he took, some, some of which worked and some of which probably the majority of which did not. But, you know, yeah. I think he's able to be philosophical about that as well. And in his commentary, he said, yes, we made some mistakes, but, you know, we were trying to, to do this and I had these ideas and sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the big challenges was that they set out to make an NC-17 rated film, which is a death sentence in American cinemas, even back in the day. Yeah. Um, and it's no surprise that actually it ended up being a challenge in the box office to get people to go along to watch this movie when the reception was as bad as it was if it had a better reception maybe more people would have gone to see it yeah no one wants to be seen going to a bad film with boobs in it do they <laughs> well more than more than that it's it's the the idea of going along to like a, an nc-17 or x-rated film you go along to one of those if it's really really good but when it is showgirls do you really want to do that if you're not sure about whether that will clash with your sensibilities? That's where the real challenge comes in, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, is there, is there anything you want to say about Showgirls? Oh, I just want to say there's chimpanzees in it, which is Yeah, it's, I was going to say that. It's a monkey film. Dunstan checks in. <laughs> Wasn't it the same? Oh, no, Dunstan it's the year checks before Dunstan Vegas. checks in, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit where monkeys are in the dressing room for no apparent reason. Um, which doesn't feel weird within the context of the film and how it jumps from thing to thing at all. Yeah, it's just kind of there and you're like, oh, okay, we've got chimpanzees now. Fair enough. Um, I thought Kyle McLaughlin's performance wasn't great. At one point, he's just kind of saying numbers into a flip phone and he's quite flat, I think. Yeah, yeah. This wasn't a movie that... um... This wasn't a movie that really tied itself well to Kyle McLaughlin's style of... um... Of, of of acting i think because he's a very he's got a very specific style and i don't think this was really right for him um he also had something very very funny to say about being at the premiere so i, I will read this out yeah, do a dramatic reading um, 
I was absolutely gobsmacked. I said, this is horrible, horrible. And it's a very slow, sinking feeling when you're watching the movie and the first scene comes out and you're like, oh, that's a really bad scene. But you say, well, that's okay. The next one will be better. And you somehow try to convince yourself that it's going to get better and it just gets worse. Um, so he, um, there were rumours that he um, walked out of the premiere and he's always denied that and said, no, I sat there for the whole awful two hours. <laughs> um but yeah it's uh yeah he and he said that it was maybe the wrong material with the wrong director and the wrong cast which i think is maybe the 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 thing there was this clash of ideas and clash of the people involved in it which i think really damaged this movie from achieving what it wanted to achieve yes there's it just doesn't really come together does it yeah yeah so you know it, it's an interesting film it's it's has its place in the history of cinema it's and you know some people really love it and think it's this kind of like great satire and this great narrative about the american dream the the kernel of that is in there but it's it's beneath a mountain of sleaze and titillation and grimness (laughs) so Mm, you know proceed with caution i'd say yeah the, the things that it tries to do are failures because of the way that it does it but also the way that it does it is sometimes the things that you'll probably most enjoy watching from a bad movie point of view. Yeah. Um, if, if you're up for a bad movie night to watch things with and you don't mind boobs and butts, then this is probably a good pick. And some violence. I think it's fair to say. And misogyny. And some violence, yeah. A lot of misogyny. Yeah. One of the pieces I read that was sort of a bit of a critical reappraisal described it as... Um, a Me Too film, but from the male gaze, and I thought that was quite astute. It's sort of the mm, the yeah. idea of it being a satire and a commentary is there, and that that we think that was Paul Verhoeven's intent, but the misogyny at times is just really awful to watch. Yeah, and it's done in such an exploitative and over the top way that maybe it doesn't get to the root of actually undermining that misogyny. No. Whereas if you look some, if you watch something like Promising Young Woman for instance that also has scenes of violence and horror and true misogyny but it does it in a way that actually gets to the root of some of it whereas here everyone's a caricature and because of that does it really have anything important to say or is it just surface level bullshit with an exploitative titillating over the topness to it that is just loads of boots yeah exactly and well what what i think will give you the answer on that is that quentin tarantino praised this and said it was the only exploitation <laughs> film he'd he ever he'd seen in 20 years or something he praised it specifically as an exploitation film so that tells you everything you <sighs> need about it and about him my least favorite director i'm taking five points off my score now that i know that quentin tarantino liked it I'm sorry, but of course he bloody did. I mean, there's no pictures, there's no, there's no footage of anybody's feet in this film, so you'd have thought that he'd be, uh, he wouldn't be interested. No, there's enough boobs, aren't there? Absolute arsehole. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, film Twitter, and sorry, people who like movies, but you're nerds. You're all nerds. (laughs) Go, go and watch Starship Troopers. (laughs) Yep. Oh dear. Go and jump to um, your conclusion without your golden parachute. <laughs> oh dear. 
Um, so I've got a little bit, of, a little bit of trivia for you, unless you've got anything else you'd like to. No, nope, no, hit, hit me with the trivia. Um, so Charlie Theron was one of the people that was up for the main role in this movie. Oh wow! Um, as well as Angelina Jolie, Pamela Anderson, and Denise Richards. Um, yeah, I could have seen any of those. Yeah, and Denise Richards would then be the female lead in Starship Troopers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that that was interesting. We talked about Carl McLaughlin saying. Um, <laughs> That he did he did stay there for the entirety of the of the of the premiere um uh, a source once told paul verhoven that steven spielberg had requested a copy of the movie after the premiere reportedly spielberg stopped watching halfway through the movie while saying sometimes i hate this town <laughs> <laughs> fantastic truly truly exceptional um so so yeah that'll do that'll do for the that'll do for the trivia i think very good. Well, how how are we going to rate this then? Um, how many takes did a butt double have when you were walking naked into a swimming pool? That's that's a good one. Well, it took a, a whole seven takes out of a possible twenty. Twenty was the upper limit, and then we'd have had to shut down for the day. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's it's objectively not good, but there are some intriguing things about it. And if you're interested in film and film history and that kind of thing then it, you probably will find some things to be intrigued by. And if, yeah, I guess you say, if you're having a bad movie night, then it's it's a good contender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to match you on seven. I think this is a, it's a bad film, but it can be enjoyable if you've got a... I don't want to sound all, all, all soy boy beta cuck about this, but if you've got a safe environment to watch it in in a funny way with people that you trust, yeah, then you can have a lot of fun watching it because it does have that campy quality to it it is actually enjoyable as a bad movie perspective as long as there's no creeps watching it with you if you're a creep don't watch this movie and instead go fall down a well yeah um but yeah if you've got a safe environment to watch it in with people that you trust who enjoy bad movies with you this would this would work out well with like um with the room for instance yeah would you you do this first and then the room the room afterwards as a as a palate cleanser yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's an enjoyable bad movie but it is a bad movie even if it does sometimes attempt to have interesting ideas yeah for sure so what have we got next then i'm excited well something completely different i've been racking my brains on this but there's some there's a film that i want i've been wanting to watch for a while since it came out that you have seen and i have i have not um which is the green knight Ah, interesting. I remember we talked about it a little bit at the time, and you told me about um, Dev Patel doing something to a sash, which piqued my interest, obviously. But I'm, <laughs> obviously. I'm also, as you know, trying to write this fantasy novel that has this Arthurian thing going on, so I'm digging into a lot of Arthuriana at the moment, and it came up, and I was like, oh yeah, we, we wanted to talk about that. So there you go, something completely different. Awesome, I've not seen it since I saw it in the cinema, so that that's a really good, really good pick. Nice. All right, well, thanks a lot for tuning in. If you watch Showgirls, we hope you enjoyed it or managed to get something out of it. If you haven't, as we said, you know, organise your bad movie night and proceed with caution. Um, there's a virtual tip jar in our show notes where you can give us money. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about The Green Knight. Alrighty, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so